First reading is taken from Malachi, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5 and 16 to 18. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in their wages, the widow and the orphan, against those who thrust against the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. And then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a parent spares the child who serves them. Then, once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The gospel, sorry, the Lord be with you and also with you. The holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before the governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this morning may I decrease that you might increase and become all in all in our hearts, in our minds, in our ears. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, Orvin introduced us to the book of the prophet Malachi. Uh, So to recap briefly, he was the last of the prophets until John the Baptist. The remnant had returned from the Babylonian captivity. The second temple had been rebuilt, such as it was. And the remnant had returned to worship for two or three generations. Sadly, They had returned to their old ways as well. The old ways of unfaithfulness and inauthentic worship. In the words of the prophet, God is angry. Very, very angry. We may be tempted to be a little bit confused about an angry God because we have difficulty bringing anger and love together. That's not a problem for our God when God is angry at our sin, disobedience, and inauthenticity. God loves us no less. This week, we're going to be looking at the refiner's fire. And yet again, I find myself preaching on holiness. And I'm every bit as baffled by this as you are. I don't know why this keeps happening to me, but it would be pretty tough to preach on anything else from this passage. I tried. (laughs) I tried to look for something besides holiness. I couldn't find it. Let me start with a story before we get into the refiner's fire. So when I was a, a young adult... My brother-in-law, my future brother-in-law, and I decided that we were going to go on an overnight fishing trip. We'd heard stories about this place along a river that had exceptional fishing. The fish were big and beautiful. We'd catch as many fish as we ever wanted. It was going to be so much fun together and a good, you know, sort of male bonding experience, that kind of stuff. So we planned in anticipation and excitement, and that morning, of course, it was raining. And it rained all day. We got in the boat, and we went anyway, and we fished. And we fished, and we fished, and we didn't catch a single fish. Almost biblical in the absence of fish, you know. So finally, we fished all day, having caught nothing, and we found an island in the middle of the river that looked like a good place to stop and, and do our overnight camp. We were all damp. Everything was damp. The wood was damp, so when I tried to light the fire, nothing. So kids don't do this at home. I poured a little gas on the fire, on the wood. 
and try it again. Nothing. A little more gas. Nothing. Third time, a big ball of flame flashes up into my faces and singes my eyebrows right off. I was wearing my glasses. I was wearing a hat, so I didn't damage my eyes, and I didn't lose any hair. That came later. Um, But on the good side, so all I had to do was apologize for being so foolish and explain why I had no eyebrows for a while until they grew back. On the upside of it, the fire stuck. And so we had a, a nice little fire in the damp weather to sit and eat our dinner of potato chips because we didn't catch any fish. <laughs> now, the point of the story is that fire is both wonderfully good, a marvelous blessing, and inherently dangerous. No less so the fire about which we speak this morning. Verse 2, Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. I want to make two observations about our passage and then ask three quick questions about it this morning. The first observation is that this is, a de- is deliberate and careful. The process is tended by God. Often, when we experience pain and adversity, misfortune, we're tempted to think that we've been abandoned by God. Has anybody thought that? Certainly I have. The fact, in fact, the title of a famous book on the subject is, Where is God When It Hurts? We feel abandoned and alone. Our passage here says God's right there, carefully tending it, tending to us and to the process, seeking to bring great good out of it. And I've been convinced for many years that God is much more interested in our growth than our comfort. You may remember from last week's sermon, our comfort is one of the Western church's idols, perhaps the greatest idol. It's not part of God's promise or plan for our lives, unfortunately. Sometimes I wish it were. Sometimes I had a little more comfort in my life than I do. But God is more interested in our growth and our comfort, and he's carefully tending the refining process. Second observation, it takes time. God sits down to tend this refining process. It's not a hasty blast through the furnace once and done. It's much more careful and much more drawn out than that. If my life is in any way normal, and as I get older, the less I'm inclined to think that I'm normal... But if my life is in any way normal, I would be inclined to say that it's a lifelong process. The purification happens throughout our lives. This matters because when I look at my own life and I think of the refiner's fire, I wonder if anything of significance will be left over when the fire's done with me. And here's where the industrial imagery breaks down just a little bit, and we need something else to help us understand. Because in some way, this slow process of purification is more organic than it is industrial. God purifies us bit by bit, allowing for time for the good to grow in us, the good like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. You know what those are, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you don't get patience without adversity. That can't happen. You don't get any of these without adversity. It's not just the removal of the dross or the impurities. 
It's also the growth of the gold and silver, if that makes any sense, in our current imagery. And that over a period of time. On to the questions. The first question is, how might we experience this refining fire? Well, I've already hinted at it. Uh, Our gospel reading has a very terrifying list of persecutions. But it's more than persecution. I think any adversity, pain, loss, or hardship can be the refining fire. Many of you will know that my my 15-year-old daughter, Natanya, has had a a headache that never goes away, and it's almost five years. The uh, five-year anniversary will be coming up early next month. It never goes away. It just gets better and worse, and sometimes a lot worse. And she learns how to navigate that. If there were a switch that I could flip to take that pain away from her and carry it myself, I'd do it in a heartbeat. I wouldn't even cross my mind to discuss or debate. There'd be no question. I'd just take that right away. I'd carry that pain so that she could be free of it. And yet, as I've watched her growth and development over the last five years, as I've watched the growth of perseverance, wisdom, discernment, compassion, and empathy, I recognize that those qualities and many others are due in no small part to the pain that she's experiencing. When I mentioned to her this morning that I, I or asked her permission to tell this story, she said, yeah, 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 but I think I'm about done with it by now. It, the pain can go away if that's all right. But she recognizes too that the pain has had a positive effect on her growth and development. However, Simply experiencing pain and adversity, loss, does not guarantee purification. As often as not, those experiencing it can can turn into twisted bitterness. Why me? We cry and scream and wail and lament as we go through it. Or even downright evil behavior on the part of the afflicted. That's how generational sin occurs, right? We wound out of our woundedness. The way we've been hurt, we inflict on others. And the sin and the pain goes on and on, generation after generation. We must be willing to go through the refiner's fire for it to be able to do its good work. Now, we don't have to like it. We don't have to become emotional and spiritual masochists. But we do have to be willing to try to trust God no matter what we're going through. We have to believe that the good work that was begun in us when we began our life of Christian discipleship is continuing even in this difficult and painful moment. That life of growth continues in this trying time. Second question, what kind of impurities are are being purified from us uh, in with this refining fire. Well, verse 5 has a list, and and I usually sort of get hives when I see lists of sins um, because they're usually misappropriated and mispresented. Um, But we'll go with this one because it has an interesting ending. Well, the first item on the list is sorcery. Wow, that's nothing for the enlightened West. What what has sorcery got to do with us here in the West? Uh, There are no Harry Potters among us. However, When we understand sorcery as illicit efforts to control spiritual powers, perhaps even control God, or the pursuit of spiritual power rather than the pursuit of God, all of a sudden sorcery 
becomes much more contemporary, real, and closer to home in the current Christian West. Secondly, adultery or sexual sin. When our sexual impulses tear down rather than build up, when they alienate rather than bring about the intimacy for which they were designed, we're talking about sexual sin. Just a word to the wise. Third, those who swear falsely. Now, we've got a funny little use of the word swear uh, in our culture. It's a collection of vulgar and socially inappropriate words and phrases. That's not what this is. Swearing falsely is being deliberately deceitful and using the, the inappropriate use of God's name and authority, usually for our own personal gain in one form or another. Think of swearing in as a legal witness. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Are there times and in places where we in places where we invoke the name of God inappropriately for our own personal gain? There's a story, and, and we'll keep it gender neutral. Um, a person comes up to another person and says, God told me that we're supposed to get married. To which the other person responds, funny, I didn't get the same message. Um, there are all kinds of ways we may claim divine authority for the things that we say when they don't have that authority. And then there's a list of economic injustice and a lack of compassion, a refusal to care for the vulnerable, the widows, the orphans, the oppressed laborer, the uh, immigrant, the social component of the gospel message. The final point is a lack of a fear of God. And this last thing is different from the others. The others are specific and discrete acts or behaviors. This is a matter of attitude and posture. And this is important because when the pursuit of holiness has gotten into difficulty, it's because it has been increasingly defined by a list of discrete acts, usually external and easily monitored by those in power. The places you go, the clothes you wear, the length of your hair, the things you consume, and so on. But the fear of the Lord is not at all like that. It's not easily monitored except internally by the person themselves by each believer. Our gospel reading talks about fearing God. It's a very uncomfortable passage, isn't it? Don't fear those. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That's a reference to God. Only God has the power of eternal life and death. And that scares the dickens out of me. I don't know if it unsettles you, but I, I find that passage deeply distressing, perhaps even offensive. But it's there, and it's there for a reason. Often we reinterpret the fear of the Lord as a holy awe. There's truth in that, absolutely. Holy awe is a part of it. But that's a tidier interpretation than the words allow. There needs to be some legitimate fear here. Fear of consequences. Eternal consequences. You see, this fear is about living our lives in light of eternity. All too often that's been presented in a binary format, hasn't it? Whether we're going to get into heaven when we die or not. We're the sheep or the goats. And there are obviously sheep and goats. There are biblical references, allusions to a binary approach. But our passage here and others in the Bible allow for a more nuanced understanding of this question. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, 
where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If all of my focus and energy is on this life, on earthly treasures, again, when the refiner's fire is done with me, will there be anything left? Or much of anything left? If I'm not really concerned about the eternal implications of my choices, I will be much more likely to make those, the, choice, the other choices on our list, the specific sins that we talked about. I'm much more likely to behave badly towards others. I'm much more likely to be fundamentally selfish if I live like this life is all that there is. But if I live life in the light of eternity and seek to understand the eternal implications and consequences of my choices, I may very well make some different choices, mightn't I? Third question, what is the refining for? Sometimes I think we're inclined to think holiness or purification is about looking spiritually pretty and feeling good about ourselves. Certainly when I think about my need for greater holiness, I often think about those things that are an embarrassment to me, uh, that, that might make me look bad. I'd like to see those just gone so that I look better to the rest of you. When in mat- as a matter of fact, it is that attitude itself that's more important to be, to be purified from my life than the specific deeds or acts. Our reading today says that purification is so that we can be effective and powerful in our priestly calling. We all have a calling of service to God and others. And the impurities and sins about which we, we speak will alienate us from God, the source of our gifts and power, and from others, the focus of our gifts and power. Over the past year or so, there have been a number of examples of uh, high-profile spiritual leaders whose ministry has been damaged or destroyed by sin, often sexual sin, some very close to home indeed. I'm deeply grieved by that, deeply distressed, and I think of the, the, the massive, chaotic, destructive impact of those realities. But the ministry limiting or damaging sins can be any alienating words or behaviors. Certainly, for example, sins of the tongue, saying things that ought not to be said, not saying things that ought, is a much more frequent limiter of the effectiveness and power of our ministry to others. So we must be refined. We must be willing to be refined, to be more effective, powerful, and glorious in our service and worship. And finally, in verses 16 to 18 of our text, the prophet reminds the readers that those who take such matters seriously, those who pursue holiness, who submit themselves to the refiner's fire, will be included in the book of remembrance. Having been refined and purified, they, we, will be God's cherished treasure. God will not forget us. Let me tell you one final story before we close. A number of you will know that in my youth, among my many, many, many jobs, I worked in a gold mine for a few years. Now, most gold miners will never see what is called visible gold. The percentage of gold in the ore is simply too small to be seen with the naked eye. 
However, the mine in which I worked didn't have that problem. And while visible gold, or VG as we called it, was not ubiquitous, it certainly was common enough not to be incredibly remarkable. And I can remember one day underground standing on the muck pile, that's what they call the broken ore before it's shipped off, and something caught my eye and I bent down and I picked it up and it was visible gold and there was, a gold, and there was enough gold content in that rock that I, I was able to bend it. Uh, there was so much pure gold there. And I stood there and I looked at it and I admired it. Uh, raw gold is very, very beautiful. It's, it's, I think it's more beautiful than, than the gold that we wear. I looked at it and I admired it and then I tossed it back on the muck pile because uh, despite the fact that there was so much raw gold there, it still had to go through the crusher. It still had to go up to the mill. It still had to be milled and purified until it was 99.999 and so on percent pure. There, was, there were still impurities and it still had to be purified. When I look around at our community, I see a lot of visible gold. I see a lot of godliness holiness. I see a lot of meaningful, effective, powerful service for God and others. And it is such a delight. But we're only partially pure. We're just visible gold in the ore that still needs to be milled and purified, go through the refiner's fire. So do not lose heart. Do not despair as the refiner's fire continues to do its work in your life. You will be increasingly pure. You will be increasingly effective for the glory of God and the service of those around you. Submit to the refiner's fire. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.